Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. Well, I believe that we're living in days and times where the Holy Spirit is wanting to do something brand new. You know, in the Old Testament, many of the prophets said, behold, I'm doing a new thing. And uh, there used to be the favorite prophecy of the old Pentecostals, behold, I'm doing a new thing. And there would be a big rev up as they would get ready to prophesy. But God genuinely is doing a new thing in our midst. Why does God do new things? Because he gets bored? (laughs) Could be. I guess, why do you do new things? I guess you do new things sometimes because you get bored, right? But why is he doing new things? Because he's doing new things because often the old is not working. And so God breathes something new on the planet and he releases it into our life. And one of the things that we find is we're living in the last days. You see, Jesus established the prototype. Everybody know what a prototype is? Prototype, the first of its kind. So when the church appeared in the book of Acts, it was the first of its kind in the history of the earth. There had never been a group of people who were personally invaded by the Holy Spirit. That normal individuals that weren't prophets, priests or kings could receive the breath of God into them. And suddenly there was this gathering that God called a church that was forming on the planet. And as that was formed, God was breaking all the paradigms of the Old Testament, all the ways that He used to do things. And He said, John the Baptist is, was the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets, but if you're in my kingdom today, even the least in my kingdom is greater than John. Wow, that's something huge. If you really want to just meditate on that for a moment. Because John the Baptist was an awesome, awesome prophet of God. Incredible. So what Jesus was, sometimes you wake up in the morning and you think, uh, you don't say, good morning, Lord. You say, good Lord, it's morning. Because you don't feel like you're a mighty champion. You don't feel like you're a giant slayer or a giant killer. And yet, the least of these in my kingdom is greater than John. And so God's saying, and He's speaking to your potential as a follower of Jesus Christ, that there is so much more for you and I yet to lay a hold of. And these are the exciting days that we live in. The Bible calls the period of time that we're on the earth now as the last days. They're the last days because it's the final days before God literally closes the curtains on the world stage and you and I get to live in that day that's about to bring back the coming and return of Jesus Christ. There are special days, there are troubled days. There are days of a lot of angst, a lot of fear, a lot of trouble globally right around the world. Things like coronavirus will continue to appear left, right and centre. Famines, pestilences, earthquakes. There's lots and lots of trouble on the planet. But in the midst of all the trouble, God is doing a new thing. And that's why He wants to plant new churches and invade new territories because He's gathering a brand new army that He's going to do this new thing through. And He's given a prototype. And that prototype is a word called a disciple. 
If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not a church attender. God forbid. I hope you do attend church. You're here tonight. But that's not your title. You're not even, your title's not even Christian. That word is only three times mentioned in the New Testament. The main word that God gives to describe someone who follows Jesus Christ, mentioned 268 times in the New Testament, is the word disciple, which means a learner or a follower. So how are you doing with your learning? Have you topped out? Do you know it all? Are you a know-it-all? You know all things about being a follower of Jesus? Or is there room for you to grow? You know, you always know somebody who's got potential. If you, if you get a puppy, which I would love to have, <laughs> which I would, just saying, just saying I'd love to have a puppy. All right. But if you get a puppy to look at its potential, just take a look at the size of its paws. Sometimes you get this puppy and it's got these big flappy feet and it's all uncoordinated and it trips over itself as it tries to run after its master. And you look at that pup and you think, this boy's going to be a big boy because he's got big paws. And often when we're brand new disciples, we can be clumsy. We kind of trip up over ourselves sometimes. But there's a lot of potential in you as a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ that God wants to call out under that guise of a disciple in the name of Jesus today. You know, there's a big gap. I've traveled and ministered much in the eastern parts of the world. And right around the eastern parts of the world, the movement and the power of the gospel is incredible. Uh, I have a friend in Nepal who's a senior apostolic minister, and in 25 years, he's planted 900 churches. In 25 years. They've seen resurrections from the dead, people who have literally died, they've been prayed for, they've come back to life. They see the miraculous continuously. Uh, but there's one difference between them, and then they wouldn't describe themselves as church attenders or Christians but they would describe themselves as hardcore followers of Jesus Christ, pure disciples of Jesus. And so this is what I find right now. God is leveling up between the Western Hemisphere and the Eastern Hemisphere. And He's got His level out, His spirit level. And He's, he's measuring us up. And He's saying, are you, are you going to be prepared to be a disciple, a follower? Or are you quite happy to remain a consumer? So if you have a look on, uh, let's go back to the graph up there. On the left-hand side, we see a consumer church. And unfortunately, in my opinion, the last 30 years of church life in the Western Hemisphere can be given the title consumer church. Why? Because this is what it says. Church is seen as a dispenser of religious goods and services, just like a business. People come to church to be fed, to have their needs met through quality programs and to have professionals teach their children about God. Their mantra is, oh, I go to church. Have you heard about that new Faith Point Church in Hupa? I go to church. As opposed to the true church, the missional church, which can be described as a body of people sent on mission who gather in the community for worship. 
They have community encouragement and teaching from the Word in addition to what they are self-feeding themselves throughout the week. Their mantra is not, I go to the church. Their identity, they understand, is I am the church. And there's a big difference between I go to church and knowing my identity as a follower of Jesus and saying, I am the church. And I'm here to serve And this is where God is taking us. And so I would describe a self-feeder as somebody who is a disciple of Jesus Christ. They don't need to hang on the last word of the pastor. They don't need to actually be fully buffered by 10 people around them every week in order to survive spiritually because they've learned to dig into the Word. They've learned to pray. They've learned to open their Bible. They actually understand there's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They actually understand what the differences are. They actually know who Jesus is. was. He wasn't just a historical person in history, but He is the Saviour of the world and He's my Saviour and He's my personal Saviour because I've received Him into my life. You know, when our kids are at preschool or they're young toddlers, we have to, when, especially when they're really young, we have to change nappies. I was a great nappy changer. Uh, cotton nappies. Did you hear that? Cotton nappies. All right. I just repeat that. Cotton nappies. All right. <laughs> Uh, which had to be washed by my darling wife, all right? Um, But I was good at changing those nappies. Uh, But my kids, when they were in nappies, they couldn't change themselves. They needed a hand. They couldn't do their shoelaces up. They had to learn and be taught how to do their laces up. But fast forward, and when they're 15, if I'm still feeding them, open up, here comes the train, choo-choo! Open for daddy! You're 15 years old sitting around the table. There's something wrong with this picture. (laughs) We're not going to do our changing jockeys, goodness me. (laughs) It's because the definition of a disciple is that we grow up and we learn how to do things not only for ourselves, but how to be a blessing to other people in the name of God. Of Jesus. That's what being a disciple is. And so if we are disciples, we leave the consumer equation behind and we move forward to being a group of missional, Holy Spirit filled believers that are pursuing God for all that they have and believe that miracles do still happen, believe that God is in the business of transforming and changing lives, and that's what they want to do with their lives. You know, a disciple, let me give you a definition that's coming up on screen, is someone who follows Jesus, someone who knows Jesus and his teaching, someone who grows to become more like Jesus, It's not static. Have you stopped growing? Have you stopped the challenges of the Holy Spirit? Has the Holy Spirit stopped speaking to you because you once used to listen to Him, but you're no longer listening to Him anymore because you're fully grown and you can't be taught anything else? I don't believe there's ever a time this side of heaven where we can say we've made it. Amen? We're still growing. And so part of the definition is is who grows more like Jesus. And not only that, who goes for Jesus. We're missional in nature. We believe that wherever we are and wherever God's placed us, that there's a mission that He wants to send us out on. 
As the Father has sent me, Jesus said to his disciples, so I'm sending you. And we serve. We serve, often at our own expense. We serve often when it's not convenient. We serve often when we feel stretched because that's what servants do. They serve the living God. Amen. And lastly up there, making new disciples. We're not content just to become a disciple. We want to make new disciples for ourselves. Amen. So someone who knows Jesus, who grows more like Jesus, someone who goes for Jesus. Amen. Knows, grows, and goes. So just try and remember that in the future when you think about the definition of a disciple. So... Um, I want us uh, this evening, as we look at um, the foundations of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, as we go through this series, we're going to analyze exactly what a disciple is, who a disciple is, what a disciple does, and how we can continue to be 21st century disciples. Amen, tonight? That's what we want to do as we look. We have a mission statement as a church, making disciples who make disciples. Building the kingdom of God, one life at a time. Every person matters. Every life matters. You're not going to build. You're not going to build the kingdom of God through mass construction projects. You build a disciple by coming alongside one person, and it's the transference of the life that's in you being transferred into that person's life. That's what it takes to build a disciple. Sometimes it can be time-consuming. You know, over the years that I've been a pastor, there's been times where I have poured literally hundreds of hours into individuals' lives. And at times I've had the disappointment of seeing those individuals walk in an opposite direction. And you know, and I feel like crying over spilt milk. That's what I feel like. You know, the, the, the disappointment that's there, it can weigh heavily into your spirit when you invest in people over a long period of time and they just walk away. But we don't go into investing into people with a contract that's got an assurity behind it, knowing what the future may bring, that it's going to be a perfect outcome. We invest in people because Jesus invested in us and he said, go and do likewise and invest in other people. The problem with the church in New Zealand is that we don't see that as our calling. Our calling is to come to church service. Our calling is to sing when everybody else is singing. Maybe, maybe you know, pay a few tithes into the, into the giving box each week and satisfy our conscience. That's not church. That's not Christianity. That's paying lip service to the King of Kings. And so we've got to get past uh, this, this thinking, this consumer thinking that's invaded the church in the West and come back to bottom line Christianity of what it really means to love your neighbour as yourself. To be like the Good Samaritan when other people walked past, saw the problem, did nothing about it. He took the time. He took the energy. He took personal interest in the man who was left half dead, naked on the side of the road when other spiritual leaders had walked straight by and done nothing about the problem. The Good Samaritan who was a half-breed and disliked by the nation of Israel, Jesus was making a point when he told the story. He was making the point that even the people that you don't like, they can follow me and they can be filled with my spirit and they can do great works for me 
because they're prepared to see the problem, do something about the problem and follow the problem up. You know, when that man dropped that, um, that patient off at the motel inn, this is what he said to him. He said to him, whatever is owed, no matter how many nights this guy stays at the motel, when I come back, I'll pay the bill. How many Christian followers of Christ will do that for another person? And so Jesus was really getting under our skin when he was talking about some of the realities of what it means to be a, be a true disciple of Jesus. So we're going we're gonna to put the spirit level. You know, I've built a few things over the years, decks and different things, and been involved with helping out with some of the DIY projects over the years. And a spirit level is one of the uh, most important tools that you'll ever have. Otherwise, you'll build stuff that's all crooked and goes all, all funny after a few years. And I feel like at the moment, the Holy Spirit is laying the spirit level over the church. And he's saying, I'm drawing a plumb line against the church and I'm bringing it back into the biblical pattern that I laid down and it means that there's going to be some adjustments. There's going to be some adjustments. Have you ever seen a chiropractor adjust somebody's spine? You think, oh my goodness, Lord, please don't do that to me. You know, may your adjustments be a little bit gentler than that. But he wants to bring an adjustment. So we're going to look at our foundations tonight. And uh, we're just going to look at three things that Jesus said in a story he told um, when his disciples. And when Jesus told the story, uh, Jesus is talking about who a disciple is, uh, what a disciple does, and why a disciple does it. And so let's have a look at Luke 6, verse 47. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Hmm. Okay, Anyone, anyone's attention gotten by that opening sentence? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? I will show you what everyone who comes to me and listens to my words and does them. There's the three points right there. Number one, comes to me. Number two, listens to my words. Number three, doesn't just listen, but puts them into practice. Number three, he is like a man building a house who dug deep down into the earth, laid the foundation on a rock, and when the flood rose and dashed against that house, it could not shake it because it was well founded. But he who listened to me and has not done what I say is like a man who builds his house on the top of the earth without any foundation. The river dashed against it and immediately it collapsed and great was the fall of it. So first of all, Jesus says, we've got to come to him. Everyone who comes to me. Jesus said this in John 5, and he was speaking to the religious people. You search the scriptures, for you think that you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me. Hello. You are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Did you know that the majority of the religious people that were walking the planet when Jesus came missed out on his visitation? They heard him speak, they saw the miracles, but they never came to him. Some of them even called him Beelzebub, a devil. 
Some of them even said that the things he does are done by the hand of the devil, not by the hand of God. So they never recognised who Jesus was. And he's saying here, you search the Scriptures, you have knowledge, but you're not prepared to come to me. It's not about knowledge. It's not about the acquisition of knowledge. Using that as power, we have seminaries and Bible colleges filled with very smart people, but there's no power of the gospel in the midst because they're not willing to come to Jesus. They want to talk about Him. They want to know all about Him, but they won't come to Him and receive those adjustments that we were talking about a little bit earlier. Before I came to Christ, I'd been to a boarding school where we had church every morning. It was an Anglican boarding school. So I knew all about church meetings. From the age of 11 and 12, I was in church every day. The amazing thing was that God used those early days in my life because we sang a lot of the old hymns. And a lot of the old hymns were filled with incredible theology about who God was. And I believe that God used that to actually draw me many years later in my rebellious days to come to Jesus as a result of that. But I knew about Christ. I'd seen a Bible. I'd been confirmed as an Anglican by, allowing, by going through a series of courses that would allow me to take my first communion. And so I understood all that, but I never came to Jesus it was all about Jesus, it was all around Jesus, but it wasn't coming to Jesus. And so the first thing that Jesus says, the plumb line of discipleship is, will you come to me? And I would encourage even those of you who have been in the faith for a long time, don't just go for knowledge, just don't go after the latest thing. Keep going back to Jesus. Keep coming to Jesus on bended knee. Keep your heart open to Jesus continuously to have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, calling Him your Lord and your Saviour. Hallelujah. You know, Jesus uh, came to talk with a young man, very respectable, very knowledgeable, had grown up in the ways of God all of his life. And uh, he came to Jesus one day and he said, I've done all these things that you've been talking about. You know, I've, I haven't cursed or sworn. I've loved my parents. I've done all these things. And, uh, and Jesus uh, spoke to him. And he said to him, you need to know this, that the Bible says that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbour as yourself. And he wanted to justify himself that he was right with God. And he said, well, who's my neighbour? And Jesus began to tell him a story. And at the end of the story, he said to the man, so who was the neighbour? And he said, go and do likewise. And then at the end of that story, he says, he says this to this young man. By the way, he was really wealthy. He had lots of money. And he's justifying himself before the Lord and he says uh, he's very wealthy, got lots of money. And as he's talking to Jesus, Jesus puts his finger right on the pulse and he says to them, there's one thing I still want you to do. Give up all your money, sell everything that you have and then come and follow me. The young man put his head down, 
turned and walked in the opposite direction because he was too attached to everything that he had acquired up until that point in time. And he couldn't follow Jesus. And sometimes there's a, to be a disciple of Jesus, you need to understand you can't allow things to stick on you that are going to pull you away from a relationship that's defined by surrender. Being prepared to surrender and not get too attached to anything that's earthly and here on earth. Is anyone receiving this tonight? The second thing that he said defines a disciple is someone who listens to the words of Jesus. He said, someone who comes to me and hears my words. You know, um, how many of you have flown on an aeroplane? How many of you have been on an aeroplane a number of times? All right. So you come to that part as you're on the taxiing on the runway and the head stewardess comes on the microphone and she begins to give her spiel of what will happen and to keep you safe during your trip. And it's at that point in time that those who work as airline staff really struggle because the shutters go down on people's eyes, newspapers come up, headphones go into their ears, as nobody's listening to the life-giving, life-saving instructions that she's about. So one stewardess got sick of this one day, and she said, if at any stage in the journey an oxygen mask drops down in front of you, please place it upon your navel and take three deep breaths. <laughs> Nobody even noticed. She still kept her job, I believe. Nobody even noticed because nobody was listening. Sometimes you can be hearing but not listening. It's just a blah, 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 blah voice, like hopefully none of you are doing right now as I'm speaking to you <laughs> this word tonight. But understand this, that Jesus said, it's those who hear my words. To hear properly, you've got to, number one, remove the distractions in your life. And let me tell you, there's so many distractions. I've got to the point now where I'm studying the Word of God. I've got to turn all notifications off. I've got to disconnect to the internet. Otherwise, there's bing, 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 all these notifications coming up that keep distracting me. Whatever you need to do to listen properly and hear the words of Jesus, find undistracted space. Even if it's just for five minutes, so that you can dial in and begin to listen to what he has to say. To listen properly requires discipline. Requires a discipline to hone in on what God is saying to you. You know, we live in an ADD or ADHD generation. And I'm not putting anyone down that's been diagnosed with that. But honestly, it's a manic generation that we've been raised in. And people have so many things that are all going on all at the same time. And sometimes to learn to be a good listener, you've got to be disciplined in your thinking, disciplined in your approach to hearing the Word of God. Did you know back in the day, Back in the day uh, when the gospel began to gain great traction and they began to have big meetings, there was no recording devices. And so guess what became super popular and a lot of students began to learn? Shorthand. Anyone here know shorthand? Yep, there you go. There's still people who know shorthand. Praise God. But shorthand's kind of like a secret code. 
where you can summarize everything that, so if somebody was here tonight and they, this big long preach that Pastor James does, they'd be able to put it all down on one piece of A4 paper in shorthand and be able to summarize it all in shorthand. And what actually happened was that shorthand took off in a lot of the training institution and the night schools because Christians wanted to be able to catch everything that the preacher was saying. They didn't want to miss anything. And so they learned how to be really good at shorthand. They learned a new discipline and they had notebooks full of shorthand that they could go back and refer on their notes. And the last thing to be a good listener is that we need to learn to be good reflectors. Reflect. Before I became a pastor, I'd spent four years sitting in the pews, listening to my pastors uh, as a new Christian. And I had those, what do you call those little textbooks with the lines on them? One A4s or something like that. One B4. One B4. There you go. I had I had bookshelves full of one B4s. The lined blank uh, books that you could fill notes in, and I had a stack of them, of all the sermon notes that I'd taken, of preachers that I'd listened to. And this is what typically happens with many Christians. They take notes. They never ever refer to them ever again. I want to encourage you to truly reflect it's even in your own journaling as a follower of Jesus as you write down in a daily journal the thoughts that God is speaking to your heart to then take time to reflect and watch the Holy Spirit like a highlighter pen begin to highlight specific things that he's talking to you about it's the art of learning how to hear properly Amen. Last point uh, this evening. Uh, Jesus said, who not only hears them, but also does them. Also puts them into practice. They put into practice what they've been hearing and what they've been listening to. And I believe that this is the number one defining issue of who a true follower of Jesus Christ is. They come to Jesus. They listen to Jesus. And then they put into practice, they apply what they've heard as they, you know, as a young Christian, um, I, was, I was learning a lot of stuff as a, as a new Christian, writing in all these book notes and everything else. And, uh, and my pastor had been preaching in on the Sermon of the Mount. And uh, so there was heaps of things that I really needed to learn and apply in there about loving my neighbor as myself. And every day I used to, I had a 10 speed 10-speed push bike. Anyone remember the great 10-speeds? Yeah, the 10s. They were the days, good old days, eh, the 10-speed. <laughs> so I had this 10-speed, and I used to bike probably about four or five kilometers to work every morning. And I noticed this property that I would bike past every day, and it was all overgrown, and the hedge was all growing big antennas all out the side of the hedge and the property was just in disarray. And one day as I was running past, I saw this really tall, bent over old man walk into the little house that was on the property. And uh, as I saw him, the Holy Spirit said to me, I want you to go and serve this man and I want you to clean up his whole property. And I want you to tell him, I want you to tell him that I sent you. So I'm listening to this as I'm biking past. This is on my way to work. 
So on my way home after work, I decide I need to put this into practice immediately. So I knock on the door, and this tall old man, he, he was about six foot eight, but he was a little bit bent over, and, uh, and he was in his late 60s, and I, this young, red-headed, freckle-faced kid knocks on his door, and he comes to the door, and he says, yes, he's all grumpy, yes, what do you want? So I'm not, I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. I'm not a Mormon. <laughs> I said, God has sent me. That was my big introduction. Ta-da! God has sent me to come and help you, and he wants me to clean up your whole section. I thought it was very dramatic. I thought this would be impressive. He literally doesn't blink an eyelid. He looks straight back at me, and he says, I'll give you the key to the shed. All the implements are down there. The lawnmower's down there. You can get started straight away. <laughs> I know. I was sh- he shocked me. I was standing there. I was going, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. It's been supposed to be, you know. Oh, thank you, young man. What a fine young man you are. Wonderful that people would do something for nothing these days. Oh, no, here's the keys of the shed. Get down there. Get to work. <laughs> But you know the incredible outcome of all of that was that we became best mates. Not only that, as he was in his older age, he said, would you come and would you stay with me? And I left the comfort of a really good flat, my mentor who had been teaching me heaps and heaps of different things. This is about, this is about a year into my Christianity. And so I moved out of the flat and I moved in with this 68 year old, six foot eight old man. And we had this amazing friendship. And I discovered that as a younger man, he'd worked in the mines in Huntley. And that he'd been raised in a good, solid Christian home where they were taught, turn the other cheek. If somebody hits you, turn the other cheek. And he'd been raised, and as he was strong, he was big, and all the miners that he worked with used to mock him and torture him and torment him. Every day he went to work, he was tormented. And, uh, and several times, this is an old trick some of you young guys won't know about, but it's called tarred, being tarred and feathered. Then where they would literally stick this sticky substance all over a person, and then they'd actually roll them in feathers, and they'd come out and they'd be like, looking like an overgrown chook. And, uh, but it was, it was a painful and it was a very um, humiliating experience. And he said to me, they tarred and feathered me twice, James. And I've been taught all these years to turn the other cheek. And he said, one day I had enough. And the biggest bully that used to pick on me, he said, one day I decided I'd line him up. I'm listening to this story, I'm going, yeah, that's it. Don't turn the other cheek, smack him one. (laughs) You know what he did? He knocked him out. And he never, ever got touched again. Nobody tormented him ever again as a result of that. But I want to tell you, you know, as a spirit-filled young kid, we had this type of relationship where I'd learn all these life lessons off this older man. And, and he was learning spiritual truths. Before I came to live with him, he never believed in the miraculous. He didn't believe that God could do miracles. And after a while, I took him to a healing meeting. 
And he went to this healing meeting, he went for prayer, and he saw improvements in his body and his health as a result of it. And we were able to. And all that happened because a still small voice spoke to me while I was on my 10 speed going to work. And I end up living with this old guy who teaches me so much about life. And I'm able to teach him some of the things that I'm learning as an on fire young Christian. It was the most unusual thing. But God can do incredible things in your life if you're prepared to act on what you are hearing. Nearly all of the miracles that I've seen in my ministry have come as a result of being obedient to the word of the Lord. I was coming back from a, a, an overseas missions trip and I'd been in the, way out in the, in the back blocks on a faraway island up in the Solomon Islands. And I had a trip. We were tired. We were hungry. We'd come back to the mainland. We had one night left. Everyone in the team was exhausted. I had one young guy who was now the commissioner of the police in uh, Rotorua. He was a young disciple of mine at the time. And, uh, and he said, no, nah, if you're going to a meeting, I'm coming with you. And uh, we went to this meeting. Everybody else conked out and we went to this meeting. And, um, and we walked into the back of this church, what used to be the back door, and, and funnily enough, we walked into the back door and we walked straight out onto the stage. They'd changed the church all around and what was the back door was now the stage door. And I walked into this meeting with about 500 Solomon Islanders staring at me and they're like, well, who's this guy? He's walking onto the stage like he owns the place. <laughs> And I walk in onto this and I walk in onto the stage and I could hear the Holy Spirit. I'm about to move. I'm about to move like you've never seen me move before. Get ready. And so the pastor turns around, he's got a, he literally got a microphone, he turns around and says, Oh, sir, um, this is unexpected. <laughs> Would you like to introduce yourself? So he introduced this guy had used to be, he was the he was the head bishop of the Anglican Church in the Solomon Islands who got filled with the Holy Spirit, left the Anglican Church and was now planting all these Pentecostal churches across the Solomon Islands. But he had never once given his pulpit away to a stranger. And I'm sitting in the meeting and you should hear the Solomon Islanders sing. It's just like you feel like you're in heaven. It is absolutely phenomenal. And as I'm sitting there, I'm three rows back and all I have on me is my Bible. And he, he's sitting over there and he keeps looking back, staring at me. I'm starting to feel uncomfortable. And as he keeps staring back at me, I thought, oh, something's about to happen. I wonder what's going to happen. And then he quickly slips over to me and he says, my guest speaker hasn't turned up. I think God must have sent you to preach the word tonight. <laughs> I've got no sermon notes. All I've got is in that moment, he's, and he says to me, would you preach for me? And in the moment he says, would you preach for me? God, the Holy Spirit, rifled a message into my spirit from the book of Joel, chapter 3. And in about 10 milliseconds, I had a whole sermon downloaded into my spirit. And I said, sure, I'd love to. I got halfway through preaching that message with no notes, being filled with the Holy Spirit as the power of God came upon me. And in the Solomon Islands, because in 1969 and 1970 and 71, they had a three-year revival that swept through every single island in, in Melanesia, they had, they had uh, bona fide resurrections from the dead right through from the top of the Solomon Islands to the bottom. They had every village get 
touched by the power of God. It literally is one of the only nations in the world where there has been genuine revival from the top of their islands to the bottom of their islands. And they had a revival mentality. And as I had listened to the Lord, not to go to bed that night with everybody else and conk out with everybody else, but I'd taken that step of faith to go out to that meeting, heaven was about to break loose in that arena like I'd never, ever seen it before. And halfway through my message, I'm up the front and I'm preaching and suddenly I see people getting out of their seats. I'm going, hang on a minute, I haven't finished. This is a great word. I want to finish this word. This is what I'm saying to myself. And suddenly it's like, this is bull rush in the Solomon Islands. They charge the altar. People come out of their seats from every part of the meeting. They come out of their seats and they come rushing up to the front, men on one side, women on the other side. And the Holy Spirit says to me, release my spirit now to move. And, the, and, I, and I just, I stopped and everybody's looking at me up the front. I stopped. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I release the Holy Spirit. And the power of God came from the back of the meeting, a rushing wind. Every single person in that meeting fell down under the power of God as God snuck up on them from behind. Women were going down, holding their infants on a concrete floor. (laughs) Yeah, Jesus' name, fly, go. And then miracles started breaking out. And literally people started screaming in the meeting. And, I, and I, people grabbed me. They said, come here, Pastor, come here. And they dragged me across the room to where this woman had been lying. Everybody in the building knew her. She'd been born with a club foot, completely bent. It was right out the opposite way. And she could never walk properly. They'd they'd operated on, she'd had three operations, but they only managed to bend her foot in just a fraction. And while she had been down under the power of the Holy Spirit, God straightened her leg up. People could hear it moving in the meeting. You right, babe? (laughs) Sound effects. And, uh, you know, then, then, then just heaven just broke loose in that meeting as the Holy Spirit moved and moved and moved. You see, you never know what's on the other side of your obedience. Can I say that? You'll never know what's on the other side of it. And if you're prepared to come to Jesus, listen to what he's saying to you and put it into practice. God, the Holy Spirit, can make a great disciple out of your life. Could we stand to our feet, please?